This podcast is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use offer code Broken Silicon to get 10% off your order, or also use Broken Silicon to get 25% off all Windows software at cdkeyoffer.com or use Dyshrink for 3% off everything else on the website. We'll say more about these sponsors later, but for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host. I am your host, Hawkpoint Tom, and I am joined today by my co-host. Uh, let's go with Fire Range Dan. Because, there we go. That's good. <laughs> I don't know because the, we're the show that sometimes has a weird catchphrase thing at the beginning and sometimes doesn't. It hasn't recently, just because. I don't know. I haven't thought to do it, but both of our, uh, both of our, what, are, what would you say? Both of our, you could say code names. Both of our opening code names were APU code names, of course, because I mean, this episode, there's just going to be a lot of APU talk, but not that boring to compute unit Mendocino kind of talk, but the types of APUs that I think people were hoping would be coming out for, I mean, frankly, since they were first announced with like Lano, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean, we are finally getting to a point with APUs that are actually like, I don't know, viable as, uh, <laughs> viable as to run an entire system, uh, without a discrete graphics card and actually get okay performance. So, well, yeah. And we'll be talking about Intel APUs like half a dozen amd apus today um and some of the uh weaker graphics cards that nvidia is canceling in general in addition to a few other stories but i guess i will say now that we're on the subject because i made myself think of it by mentioning lano which god I, when did that come out that was like 2000 like 12 11 i mean it, it didn't even use bulldozer it was like it was a pre-bulldozer apu uh you know so you know back in that sandy bridge era at a minimum we'll say Mm-hmm. Over a decade ago, um, I just want to be clear that, you know, I think when people, when we, when we talk about viable, the word viable for gaming on an APU, um, and we're, well, t- I've already talked about benchmarking a 7735HS, which is Rembrandt and saying things like, you can play any game well, or we'll talk about Phoenix and how viable that is to play every AAA game and so on and so forth is they will keep getting stronger now. It does seem finally for the next few years, whereas I feel like there's a bit of stagnation or treading water in the type of performance you got out of APUs between Renoir and Rembrandt. Um, That when we say viable, there's a very big difference between some kinds of viable and others. Like Mm -hmm. when Lano first came out, you guys go Google it, but I remember at least one Newegg customer review saying, Oh my God, it's better than a GT 520. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, and that was blowing people away that this, that you could play, like, I think it was back then, like, Battlefield 3 at like 720p, 30 ish frames per second, low settings. 
that was blowing people's minds. And now when we say viable, like, cause I think you would say that isn't viable. That's complete nonsense in today's. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, because I think people consider 1080p to be basically be the minimum this day. Yeah. But. Or, or at, at a minimum, if it's 720p, it better be locked at 60 or with decent settings. It can't be like, you know, watery blur vision. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's what people used to call viable because before that there just weren't even APUs. And I remember like Vega and say, you know, like in Renoir graphics, like people were like excited. It could do like 720p 40 or like in some <laughs> games. And so when we talk about like what viable is, what good is and even context of Phoenix, I just, Remember, people, go back and look up old reviews of Lano and what viable used to be considered just because it was new. Like when we talk about decent APU gaming now, we're talking about, I think, not a whole lot of compromises in actual gameplay, whereas before there were like literal games, literal types of areas you just wouldn't play if you were using an APU. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But moving forward, I have a couple of opening reader mails here. Um, Q for Combo writes in and says, holy moly. Nearly four years of broken silicon. BS 208 will be four years of this podcast since you've been doing one every week, right? I remember listening all the way back in 2019 uh, when you were doing Zen 2 and Zen 3 rumors and how you're referring to your subscriber counts, milestones by graphics card numbers like 7970. Jeez, how the time does fly. Keep it up. And Sarcastro also writes in and says, Tom, Dan, Gerard, and the rest of the Moore's Laws Dead team. I just want to congratulate you all on the 200 entertaining, informative, and enjoyable podcasts. Thank you for all the chuckles and near spit takes as well as helping to increase the knowledge and understanding of technology behind the PC and gaming products we enjoy. Just think, a civilization in Alpha Centauri or another nearby star system could be listening to your podcast and judging the the fate of Earth based on how intelligent your conversations are this autumn. Well, I don't know why this autumn, unless he knows something we don't about. Because because it will take the uh, the light of whatever is, however this is being broadcast, uh, oh, two, four and a half years to reach it, Tom. Of course, I should have thought about, oh, I get it. Yeah, I should have thought about, that's what he meant, that by now, well, I mean, I think humanity's dead if he's judging our intelligence based on the first episode, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> I feel like you go, although, you know, when I went back and listened to that a year ago, I actually thought the first episode was better than I was worried it would sound. <laughs> it was. We weren't. And, you know, it maybe it was coincidence. At least that episode, a lot of the things we predicted pretty much came true. And that only 50-minute episode, I believe, by the way, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. But although there were times where I extra talked over you, and not just because I tended to do that a lot back then, but literally because the audio was a little desynced sometimes. <laughs> Well, our audio quality has gotten better over time, I think. So <laughs> I've gotten better at it. And for the past like hundred episodes, Gerard's been the one doing every episode too. I mean, gotta even remember back to the early days where I feel like I edited every other episode, even when Gerard started. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, but so I've gotten better and he is better than me at it. So <laughs> but uh yeah, I just wanted to throw those opening reader mails here because I don't know, it's we did the 200th episode. We didn't like do a special request for reader mails about that. And I wanted to acknowledge one more time that not only have we hit episode 200, but soon we're about to hit 
four years of doing broken silicon. And so, yes, 208 guys will be our four year milestone. And it, you know, so that should be because I believe our first episode was in June. You know, that'll be around Mm -hmm. there. And, you know, if you want to write in for that episode, maybe not yet, maybe give it a month before you start writing in about it. Uh, Don't forget to do that. It's it's been crazy. This has already been going on for four years, honestly. Mm been a wild ride bro it's been a wild wild ride all right let us now get to one correction from qh freddy uh he says in broken silicon 200 you and dan answered a question on whether reasonable settings and resolutions will be gpu bound anytime soon i do feel like even answering this question misses the point that the entire idea of reasonable settings and resolutions in many games is based on trying to be gpu bound not CPU bound. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say that, and I believe if I'm remembering correctly, it was something to the effect, right, of like, will current CPUs be strong enough to do this or that? And I think my and your answer was effectively, well, what frame rate do you want to hit? Because I'd say we're just wildly, you know, yeah. we have wildly strong enough CPUs for many years if you even want to do 120 hertz gaming, right? Yeah. Um. But, you know, just because we didn't say that directly, QH Friday, doesn't mean we're not aware of that. But I do think that is worth pointing out, I guess, that at a minimum, we could still use way stronger GPUs for, it, for the CPUs we have now. I would say that. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. But again, it depends how you look at it. For I saw 500 hertz monitors are coming out. 120 hertz is the standard, though. But like, where do we... What, I mean, what should I, I th- we consider, you know? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think the standard's going to hover between 60 and 120 for a long time, depending on who you are. And some people that are really get into getting the new thing will go, go for 240 hertz. But I think that's also going to be similar to 4K, where a lot of people are just fine with sticking to 4K or, or like 120 to 144 hertz permanently because, eh, you, you, I, I, you are at a point of diminishing returns past 100 hertz at least in my opinion to some extent I mean, i'm still sure 240 hertz will look better than 120 hertz but eh, it, it, it gets harder to tell with each additional frame you add at a certain point well yeah and it's all diminishing returns starting from one frame to 1000 frames <laughs> basically yeah. which i would say 1000 frames is the undisputed i don't think anyone can tell the difference and remember that doesn't mean i'm saying you won't before that i mean i think probably a third of the population might literally not tell the difference between 240 and 1,000. And then two-thirds of the population, it's probably can't tell the difference between 500 and 1,000 and so on and so forth. You know, everyone has different eyesights and abilities to see not just movement and color, but light uh, changing is a different metric and all that. Um, But I, I will say that I have gamed, and this was a couple of years ago now already, or almost a couple of years ago, on a 240 hertz monitor uh and i gotta say like it looked i could tell the difference between that and 120 and even 144 but a locked 144 looked very close to me (laughs) whereas a locked 60 does not look like uh even 120 or even 100 i mean actually we were just talking the other night dan i didn't want to go upstairs to turn on my desktop uh and on playstation plus they gave you battlefield 2042 for free Mm -hmm. uh well with playstation plus yeah uh so i was like you know what 
it's cross save. I'm just going to boot up the PS5 and play a couple games with you. And I had to turn on the frame rate monitor on my TV because I was like, is this at 60? No, it said locked 60 hertz, but it just felt so slow to me compared to 120. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I know it, it, you definitely notice the difference. Uh, n- notice the difference between 120 and 60 hertz. Uh, 60 hertz does kind of feel sluggish to me at this point. It depends on the game, too. I'd say maybe the yeah. frame times aren't as consistent in that game. Who knows? But yeah, I mean that and I'm used to playing at 130 hertz in that game. It's <laughs> it's so obviously different. I mean, I'd say the difference between one, you know, like 144 hertz and 200 was like. I mean, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it was it probably felt like the difference between like. 110 and 144, maybe 120 and 144. Like it, you're way into dimension return. So I agree. Like all this is to say, I really think that 240 is where we're probably going to stop for 99% of people. And then 480, I just can't, I can't see it. Yeah, there will always be pe- like monitors that push farther, but I, I just can't see even, yeah, even like enthusiasts carrying past 480, like crazy enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think there are going to be many people that do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of not caring about something, let Ooh. us move on to story number one. RTX 4070 flops while PC hardware sales collapse in general. On Broken Silicon 200, which was, to be clear, recorded before the 4070 technically had released, already Moore's Laws Dead was discussing how this new $600 mid-range card seemed like it would underperform NVIDIA's expectations. This was based on some early data. Early reviews were mostly negative. The comments in said early reviews were incredibly negative. And retailers that Moore's Law's Dead spoke to before recording that podcast said that they had little pre-launch interest shown by shoppers. You see, usually before a graphics card comes out, people will call a micro center, Best Buy, whatever, and say, will you have this graphics card on release day? The people I asked said no one was calling ahead of time, basically. So anyways, though, over a week has passed since the 4070 launch. And in summary, as leaked by Moore's Lostead's last video, nearly every retail source says that the 4070 so far has sold worse than the 4070 Ti in aligned launches. Consumer interest was in fact so low that some stores I spoke with didn't even bother to stock the card after they felt like they were burned after a horrible 4080 and 4070 Ti sales. And that also... The remaining 4070 Ti stock they have is starting to sell even worse than before, too. And most shockingly, some retail stores, multiple, Dan, said that many Lovelace cards were returned in exchange for discounted RDNA 2 cards in the past two weeks. And so there you go. It almost seems like the 4070 launch was a mistaken advertisement for the 6800 XT, which can currently be found for around $500 online. This will undoubtedly make NVIDIA reevaluate their RTX 4060 and 4060 Ti plans, and it may force price cuts by the end of summer. Furthermore, this will almost certainly also make AMD think extra hard about how they want to segment the rest of the <laughs> RDNA 3 lineup. This doesn't just affect NVIDIA, people. If people wouldn't buy an RTX 3080 level of performance for $600, 4070, I'm going to doubt they'll buy 6900 XT performance for 650 in a hypothetical 7800 XT. And that's all there really is to say. 
Micro Center is already offering $100 Steam cards with 4070s. There are discounts worldwide at a ton of retailers. And cards like the 7900 XT and even 4070 Ti are drifting below $800. I found 4070 Ti. It was open box, but it was already below $800. And they seem to be drifting directly to $750 quickly. And the 4080 is widely available below MSRP on Newegg. The 4070 may be the biggest flop yet, but let's be clear. GPU sales are vastly down on average in general. Okay, there it is, Dan. I mean, what did you... I, I'm not even sure what to say. You know, let's just... What are your thoughts on 4070 sales in the market in general? Uh, I mean, you know, I think we kind of just mostly said it a couple of weeks ago. This isn't going to sell well at $600. I mean, I... There's no real reason to get it over a 6800 XT, which is about as powerful as the 4070. It's a little weaker, but it has more RAM. And some benchmark averages I saw, it was a little stronger, actually. Oh, so by I, 1%. Give or take. It's the, I would yeah. say same performance. And you can get a 6800 XT now for less money than a 4070. So there's no real reason to get a 4070 unless you want that marginal benefit for, with better energy usage, but that's. That's really the only thing the 4070 has on the 6800 XT at this point. So yeah, the, the 4070 launch kind of just felt like an ad for the 6950 XT and the 40, I mean, then the, the uh, 6800 XT because it just showed, all right, nothing's really going to get better than what we have right now. I'll just buy the thing that has more RAM and is a bit more powerful or the same power for a little bit less money. I have to say, too, that this the sales of the 4070 have to have been affected by how many games are coming out now that want more than 12 gigabytes for 4K, wouldn't you say? I, I, I don't know how much that's broken into popular discussion yet. I, I, I think a lot of people are still at the place where they're mad at poorly optimized games and haven't accepted that games are just starting to use more than 8 gigabytes now. I mean... If it had been an eight gigabyte, I think it definitely would have affected the sales. 12 gigabytes, I think some people still think that that's a sufficient amount of RAM because, well, it's bigger than eight and don't see the fact that it's not that much bigger than eight. So it probably will become problematic relatively soon anyways. But mm -hmm. I, I, I just don't know if 12 gigabytes it has really broken into a uh, popular discussion as being uh borderline low end uh i mean i guess uh hardware and box talked about that with you if i'm remembering correctly but mm -hmm. eh, th there's still a lot to be done i don't think uh, there's still a lot to be done and discussion of like creators to talk about how 12 gigabytes is going to become insufficient soon and i think i think the general consumer still thinks eight is fine but that's going to change pretty rapidly <laughs> yeah I mean, I don't know how much more I have to say about this. Um, you know, if you want it because it's efficient, I guess, you know, I, that's the argument. And it does seem like it sells a little bit better in Western Europe where there's more energy concerns um, than in a lot of other regions. But besides that, I, 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 I guess this is, I'm assuming this is something we'll discuss much more in the next news episode. I mean, it feels like every news episode, Dan, we have a major discussion about this sold even worse than we could have thought it would. 
And oh, I, I don't know. know how many times we have to see this 4080, 4070 Ti, 7900 XT, 4070 before we go AMD, NVIDIA, it's done. And, and I was actually talking to someone at one of those companies uh, this weekend offline. And I said, look, if you're going to keep doing this, just don't launch the cards. Like if you're going to give small amounts of VRAM, it needs to be cheap. If you're not going to be better than last gen performance or bring a new tier of performance to a lower tier, save us all the trouble and yourself the trouble and don't launch these stupid cards. Like, and I understand, like, let's say it's true. And even though I think these, there's a lot of half truths in these defenses, especially yes. by NVIDIA of, oh, well, things cost more now. Well, then don't launch it because what's the point? We're not going to fucking buy it. Like, then don't launch it. Don't insult our intelligence. Don't waste money putting this on shelves. Sell whatever these cards are to laptop and readjust your planning. And maybe, I mean, in NVIDIA's case, launch a Lovelace 2.0 generation this fall that gives more VRAM, moves the segments around based on the realities of what consumers want. But continuing to bang your head against a wall cannot be good for your finance. Like, this is a waste of everybody's time, NVIDIA. And this, especially. From Nvidia, from Nvidia side of the, they need to cut the BS with their advertising and actually just like tell us what performance we're going to expect. Because at this point, we all know what you're doing is silly, and like the the continuing to do it just keeps making them look sillier. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? (laughs) Where. They're being a little bit more honest in their advertising than they initially were. Where, where they're just showing you mean four with times three or yeah, with with four times stronger than the previous gen. That's still kind of what they're trying to do, and it doesn't work. And it just makes them look dumb. And like they think that they can somehow trick us into thinking these cards are stronger than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just want to be clear about this. Like this affects AMD. Um, I, I'm actually working on a video that's going to go more in depth, I think on Navi 33, Navi 32, and, and really the question of how these should be segmented in the next couple of weeks <laughs> is one of the scripts I'm throwing around next to maybe t- instead talking about Arrow Lake or something, but like, I don't know what AMD does because I, I think there's no way around it. AMD <laughs> needs to seriously consider taking the W7800, that 70 compute unit Navi 31 config they have that they're selling into a professional, and they need to clock it to the moon and sell it for 600 or maybe 550 and AMD, you did this to yourself. You should have called the 7900 XT, the 7800 XTX, and priced it at like 750 or 700 You didn't. You called it the 7900 XT, and so now you need to maybe sell the tier below it which is probably going to be 6,900 XT performance for 550, I think, because no one's, I mean, let's be honest here. If no one's going to buy 3080 performance for 600 this year, I don't think people are going to buy 6,900 XT performance for more than 600. And they might have to price the 7,800 XT at 550. Yeah. I I mean, you're definitely right. Like, People, people are tired of the, uh, tired of the BS that we're being sold at this point. And, yeah, I, I think with AMD and NVIDIA's branding, what's happened is 
I think people have gotten even more negative and are just kind of reflexively negative towards AMD and NVIDIA at this point to where I think we might be going the other way and actually requesting lower prices than we would have had they just not tried to sell us BS, which you can say is maybe a maybe not a rational response on the consumer side, but everybody's just annoyed and tired of this crap. So now we don't want to buy anything from them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is coming off of years of shortages and people already having a malaise over the pricing of graphics cards. You guys, everyone's done. Like you probably NVIDIA, you probably could have gotten good reviews if the 4080 was 900. 4070 Ti was 600 and the 4070 was 500. Uh, but I, I know some people are going to go, what is he saying? Are you crazy? But dude, like what I'm hearing is like apocalyptically bad sales in the past two weeks specifically uh, at a lot of retailers globally. Uh, and distributors are saying we have these warehouses of cards that we want to distribute to retailers. No one's asking for them anymore. Like, for all we know everything in a month from now when we're doing a four-year anniversary episode. For all we know, we'll be talking about the XTX at 900, the 4090 at 1400. And this didn't really have to happen probably in NVIDIA and AMD if you just would have priced it in line with the margins of last gen, basically. Yeah. But you didn't. And you didn't do it after people were already annoyed and in a recession. So, okay, well, watch no one buy anything all summer. Um, honestly, yeah, it's just stop making them then just put them in laptop. What each release seems like it's doing is pushing a number of people to get to either just stick with what they have now, uh, go for previous gen instead, or just say, screw PCs. I'll get a PS five or series X mm-hmm. next. <laughs> and I, I don't know with each boss release. I think you have more and more of those people out there. Yeah. And so I didn't, for this first story, just want to talk about the 4070. I want to talk about the fact that from what I'm seeing, 4070 40, 40, Ti, 4080 sales are also collapsing. Get the 4090 and 7900 XTX for MSRP or below MSRP even with those ones now. And it, it I, I just think pretty much everything's going to keep collapsing. I checked eBay, by the way, um, and I saw 3070s in bulk. I think whatever mining cards that mm, we were waiting to yeah. get here by boat, they're here because there's piles of 3070s for 350 or less used, some of them around 300. So again, why would anyone give a shit about these new cards if you can get used last gen for like half the price for the same performance? Like who cares? Uh, yeah, I mean, if if there's going to be a massive dump of Ampere cards into the ch- <laughs> into the space now, yeah, then new cards are going to be even worse off. And I don't know. Hopefully, we'll still see the pricing collapse even more than what it's at right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Doomberry writes in and says, Hello, Tom, and possibly Dan. Not possibly. He's here. I'm hearing possibly. so far that the sales of the 4070 are poor. Yeah. If I understand correctly, this goes up the product stack with the exception of the 4090. That's the following question How are sales of NVIDIA laptops going? Laptop buyers are getting an even worse deal than desktop buyers, so I'd expect sales to be quite poor, but I haven't heard much. You can't even get a proper 4090, the only good card in that lineup. So thanks for your time and thanks for the content. I'm really happy about the leaks you've been putting out and how much you've progressed over the past few years. Cheers. 
Well, thank you, Doomberry. Um, what I hear is server sales are holding and laptop sales are still decent, but they're a bit down and desktop sales are terrible. So I guess what I would say is they're selling and laptops are selling, but I do, I don't think they're selling fantastic. And from the sounds of it, Ryzen laptops are selling about as well as they have been, which is to say they're a little hard to get sometimes and they sell out quickly, but you can mm-hmm. kind of get them now easily, but they're still moving fast. Like if you're a retailer, you're bringing them in more. Uh, Alder Lake laptops are just falling apart and Lovelace laptops are okay, but they're worryingly, they're not making up for how bad desktop sales are. Let's put it that way. And this is probably a worse selling laptop generation so far than it really needed to be. Um, well, and remember, it, it's early, so we'll see if it gets worse. And I, I don't know how much it's satiating the market, but it does seem like we're now at the point where previous gen laptops are falling in pricing to get to like really good deals. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people are being pushed to that instead of getting the new laptops, like the like the laptop that the version, the updated Ampere version of the laptop I. I currently have, I think, just dropped to a, like a thousand, some a little over a thousand on Best Buy now. What we mean the updated version, like what the, is it? The uh, G14 uh, with a 3060. So it has a 3060 still. Yeah, and it's 1100. And does it have a newer CPU or? Um, I don't remember the exact CPU specs, but it, 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 it we're at the point where what motivated me to get the. Uh, G14 with uh, Cezanne and uh, 1650 is where the pricing are at, is at now for their last gen G14s. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. With much better specs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, though. Any 3060, I'm just would be completely uninterested in because it has six gigabytes of RAM. Oh, that's true. Uh, I mean, I think the laptop, laptop is... Uh, uh, what motivates people is probably a bit different, but having eight gigabytes is ideal. And I don't think I want to buy any new C- GPU that doesn't have eight gigabytes. At least I'm going to so be then. honest. I'm going to say 12. I mean, unless it's crazy budget, I just don't see why like there's games that aren't going to work. Like I'm not bothering with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it would be best if you get at least 12 gigs of Ram, even on a mid range de- uh, laptop at this point. Well, if you want that, Dan, NVIDIA will happily sell you a 4070, or sorry, not even that, 4080 laptop for uh, 2500 so they heard you loud and clear. They um, certainly heard something loud and clear. <laughs> QH Freddy writes in and says, do you think NVIDIA are intentionally trying to pull a fast one on the inattentive reviewers by using LOD biasing to go to extremely low quality textures when VRAM runs out so that the frame rate stays stable? So, of course, he's referencing uh, Finding Hardware Unboxed had where a lot of recent games, and even some not-so-recent games, if you get out of the can benchmark and play the game, you'll notice 8 gigabyte cards for a little bit now have been loading, I mean, PS3 textures and mm-hmm. 8 gigabyte cards to not go over the buffer, even though you selected medium, maybe, textures in the benchmark. And this is like a decision the game is just making based on your card and going... Oh, I know you selected medium textures, but it'll crash. So for half the textures, we're going to load below low textures. <laughs> um, do I think NVIDIA is trying to pull a fast one? 
No, not really. I th- I mean, I don't know what you think, Dan, but I think w- this is just what they're going to do either way to keep performance together for an eight gigabyte card. I don't think this was yeah. like any, both companies, I bet, are doing this when you have an eight gigabyte card trying to run higher settings. I would just, I'm a little surprised reviewers haven't noticed sooner. I haven't noticed. I've been using like 16 gigabyte cards since 2019 with Radeon 7. You know, <laughs> I use the 3070 briefly, but at the time, no games really had much of an issue. So I, I guess I'm a little surprised how overlooked this might be, though. I mean, yeah, it's a big deal if basically what's happened in benchmarks is you're not getting an apples to apples comparison, which. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does happen from time to time. And, you know, the benchmarker, the person running the benchmark can't really help it because it's just, I don't know, doing stuff without them, <laughs> without them telling it to. Yeah. This Easter season, Jesse, well, Jesse isn't looking for any colorful eggs hidden by creepy man sized rabbits. No, she's usually looking for new tennis balls at the park or for where my friend's dog is hiding around the house. Me, myself, well, usually during the spring season, I'd be hunting for the best way to avoid paying monopolistic prices for Microsoft software. Well, that was until I was sponsored by CDKeyOffer.com many years ago. This piece of content is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com, a long-term sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead for a reason. They've been good to me, they've been good to Dan, and they've been easy to work with. And they keep reliably providing the Moore's Laws Dead community with a product that I think PC gaming just needs. In a world where all of our components seem to keep getting more expensive, I don't think we should also have to be milked by Microsoft as well. So this Easter season, whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or Microsoft products as well, go to cdkeyoffer.com and use the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products, and then die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Boris Law's Dead by supporting cdkeyoffer.com this Easter season. All right, well, speaking of eight gigabyte graphics cards, let us now move to story or really leak number two, desktop Navi 33 engineering sample performance leak. So yeah, I wasn't sure if I should save this for a video this week or not. I'm actually imagining I'll have more information by then anyways, but I wanted to get this out as soon as possible just to level set expectations for AMD's I mean, frankly, the only reviews I've actually seen of Navi 33 are still the 7600S, the cut-down variant on laptop. So I still think there's a little bit of a wide variety in expectations that people have for the 7600 XT, and I want to kind of set those uh, realistically. So let's see. Here's the write-up. So I'm going to just drop a leak in this podcast episode in case I don't get to it. I've spoken with an AIB that has an early Navi 33 desktop sample, and so far... This, and and I want to be clear about this, because I did ask this so far. When you say you benchmarked Navi 33 at a certain TDP, are you saying you took a laptop Navi 33 and, like, modified it to, like, run at a higher... And he's like, no, this is <laughs> this is a desktop to, like, you know, fa- like, with, you know, standard connectors that we put in a, uh, a whole rig. And it's benchmarking around 11% above the 6650 XT and consuming around 175 watts. And it has eight gigabytes of VRAM. Now, outside of that, this contact really couldn't say more. 
you know, I'm pretty sure this is one of those cards AMD gave to a bunch of their partners for early testing uh, for their coolers. And so I would, I just would say, I, we don't know the other specs for sure, but at a minimum, I would say this means that it is highly unlikely this matches the 6800 and 1080p. So my expectation that I've been saying for months now, ever since, you know, RDNA 300 performed was, I, I believe based on the specs and based on what we've seen of releases so far, Navi 33 should be between 6700 and 6800 performance in 1080p. And now we know that it is at least going to meet the minimum there. So that's basically what I would leave this at. Uh, oh, and it boosts at 2.6 gigahertz or higher. So it is boosting higher than Navi 31 and 5 nanometer, which is interesting. But what I would say is I would not expect this thing to perform more than 20% above what I said in this leak, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the final thing I will say is, um, I mean, disappointing to some people, but I don't know, guys, even if this is how the final one performs, let's keep in mind, they boosted performance by at least 10% when we're making the die 15% smaller than Navi 23. And I think that's still really impressive. But that does mean that it's worst case scenario, like what, an eight gigabyte 6,700? This, this has to be $300. Because uh, what did the 6,700 launch for, 400? Mm -hmm. And now you can get it for like 320 to my knowledge, to my memory. If, if it launches, if it's slightly stronger than a 6,700, like 6,700 XT performance with eight gigs of RAM, yeah, it has to be 300 max. <laughs> yeah. Maybe... If it were at like 280, I think where it starts getting somewhat appealing. But like, it, I I would be ex excited if this were like a 250 dollar card, which I'm not saying I expect. But 300 yeah. is the minimum, is the maximum price where I, I care at all about this thing. Yeah, let me see here. Unless it massively outperforms what you're suggesting here, and is or if not massively, unless it's like 10 percent or 20% stronger than what you're expecting, then maybe they can try to command like, I don't know, 330 for it. But still, that wouldn't be very exciting. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, though. I am going to save this. The 6700 10 gigabyte, the Sapphire one on Newegg while we're talking, is $300. So okay, so it needs to be, if that, if that holds at $300, and that's not just a flash in the pan, then... Yeah, it needs to be 300 or less. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is, you know, what I was talking about earlier. I think, and I've, I've had someone at AMD say this, there, we are possibly going to completely reevaluate what to do this generation now. Like, when you have, you know, a 6700 selling for $300 and you're preparing to launch an 8 gigabyte card that at best <laughs> is going to slightly beat this by, let's even say it's beats it by 10 or 20 percent it's not better <laughs> unless it's cheaper and i mean i think amd initially wanted to charge 350 or 400 they can't now but also if people say well there's nothing they can do it has a smaller die size than navi 23 that they've been selling for 250 or less for like half a year yes they can charge 300 and have a <laughs> decent margin absolutely they can yeah and i think I, if NVIDIA's thinking of charging for 400 bucks for an 8 gigabyte 4060 Ti that performs like a 3070, 
I'm sorry. I think I'm going to swear a lot in this episode. No one gives a shit NVIDIA. And if AMD charges 350 for an 8 gigabyte 6700, no one gives a shit again, AMD. So this has got to stop. You're launching a card that's between probably 6700 and 6700 XT performance with less RAM than both of them. It's, I mean, honestly, I, I'm going to say it. I, to make waves, because remember, these things aren't even launching on desktop probably for a month or more. <laughs> AMD, to make waves, 7600 XT needs to be 250. You need to offer a 16 gigabyte variant for 350. The 70, this 7700 yeah. XT better be Navi 32 that beats a 6800. It better have 16 gigabytes still and be 450. And the 7800 XT should be 550. And then you should drop the 7900 XT probably to 700. Yeah. <laughs> now, and maybe the 7900 XTX to 900. But if you do that, I think it'll sell great. I do. It's just that's what's required. And NVIDIA, I cancel the 4060. And call I mean, what, the, like, come on. The, the market needs a good $250 card. I don't think we're ever going to have the like $100 segment again, but $250 does not sound out of the realm of possibility. Uh, and yeah, I think a lot of people would be excited about a $250 card right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, or again, if you let AIBs clamshell eight gigabytes extra RAM on it, like they let them clamshell an extra four gigabytes for the eight gigabyte 6500 XT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have a $350 16 gigabyte card that's around 6700 XT performance, that's the new Polaris. Well, then they've su- then they've successfully made a card that's better than the sixty seven hundred XT. So <laughs> yeah, for the price it's currently selling for, exactly. So I, I I just I think this is, and that's why I don't I wanted to leak this now to set expectations to make it clear where I'm going to be coming from if I do put out a video looking at Navi thirty two and thirty three. Because for me at this point, we basically know what the performance of these cards are going to be, even mm-hmm. if they outperform, relatively speaking, Navi thirty one by 10, 20%. We still know that like the more interesting question is how does AMD launch these for a reason with reasonable segmentation in a market that has just rejected every graphics card that's launched for the past few months. Um, well, and I think it just speaks to another thing like those intermediate uh, capacity RAM needs to come. It needs to come out sooner because <laughs> uh, I think that co- those could alleviate a lot of the problems with uh, having them have an option to not either have to go with eight or sixteen or twelve or twenty-four or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, QH Freddy writes in. He says, "Is AMD ordering extra Navi twenty-one to fill the lineup while they are waiting for Navi thirty-two and thirty-three to be ready for desktop?" No, definitely not. There is no reason for them to either. Let's be very clear about this. Navi 33 is smaller than Navi 23, and it at least performs around Navi 22. That's way more cost effective than any mm-hmm. of this other stuff. So, no, I think uh, I think if they had a higher density so they could more easily and cheaply give it 16 gigabytes of RAM, they'd be jumping all over that even more. But there's no there's no point in ordering RDNA 2. Uh, RDNA 3 is more performance for the same or less to produce. So... Uh, what you're seeing right now is again, I said RDNA two had an oversupply issue. It's not as bad as Ampere, but it's there. And that's all of these cards are that. And once they sell out, they're gone. Let's be clear about that too. That's why I say, if you're waiting for Navi 33 guys, get the 6,700 now, like 10 gigabytes, this performance, this might yeah, as well be the new Polaris there's, already. There's no reason to wait at this point. Um, carbon cry writes in. 
Tom, could the seeming delay of Navi 32, which we still don't think is coming out for at least a month or so, or or three, actually be a good thing for AMD, given the state of demand for GPUs and AMD still trying to desperately get rid of Navi 21 cards? Let's assume, for the sake of argument, that Navi 32 is absolutely ready right now. And in fact, the silicon is great. The production is a go. Drivers are ready. Would AMD even want to launch it? And given that they have a great excuse of Navi 32 not being ready or drivers not being ready, excuse enabled by, is this excuse enabled by how bad the Navi 31 launch was? Wouldn't the rational thing be to just keep using this excuse and smokescreen the delay? Um, I, I, maybe. I mean, I keep, saying this i this is what we were just talking about like i don't think any of this crap should be launching if they're not going to be more aggressive and if they're not ready to be no, more aggressive then yeah i don't know if they should launch navi 32 to desktop i mean what's the point well yeah because you're kind of in a situation where if they have an oversupply of uh of navi 21 still uh if you launch cards for the same price that are on paper better well, then everybody's just going to get that and they're never going to be able to sell out. Or you launch the new cards at shitty prices and those don't sell. <laughs> it's You need to wait for one of them to clear out before you put out the other one. Yeah, which is kind of what NVIDIA was trying to at least do with Lovelace and Ampere. They mm-hmm. were trying to keep everything they launched well at first they tried to say everything's a 4080 even if it wasn't <laughs> and say it's all 900 dollars or more so you buy the 3080 uh that just didn't work so they had to start changing their plans and they just didn't change them enough and i mean i'd say for amd it's less of an issue because their revenue is less dependent on graphic sales and you know a collapsing gpu market hurts a 20 to 30 percent owner of that market less than the person who's holding 70 to 80 percent but yeah i don't know i i think uh even if navi 32 is ready it'd be silly to launch now they should take as much time as they need to and frankly until fsr3 is ready that's like a major selling point that is gonna matter more mm-hmm. in the mid-range than i think it does in the high end let us now then move on to story number three AMD Phoenix 780M benchmarked, and Moore's Laws Dead has his own leaks for this, uh, for integrated Phoenix performance as well. So last week, the YouTube channel EGA Prime finally, and I say finally because I we still haven't seen integrated Phoenix benchmarks, finally had benchmarks on AMD's integrated Phoenix graphics. And at least from what I could tell, it seemed to be 20 to 40% better than Rembrandt with few surprises in all honesty or what did you find, Dan? Were there any quantified benchmarks really against other? Um, I, I only glanced at this video. I, I would say closer to like twenty percent better than uh, than Rembrandt. I, I I don't think it's. Listen, I think the integrated performance looks pretty good, but I don't think it's uh, like some quantum leap over uh, over Rembrandt. And that's what we were talking about last year when Rembrandt initially launched is. Uh, it looks like it's a decent entry-level graphics, and this is slightly better than decent, I guess, entry-level graphics at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I would add and is in his benchmark, he was only able to use four gigabytes for the RAM. So I don't oh. know if that presented any issues. 
So oh, I'm sure it did though, because in my 7735HS system, I have to manually select how much RAM I let be used for video RAM out of the total system RAM. And I chose four gigabytes with 16 gigabytes. Um, I'm about to upgrade the system to 32 gigs. We'll see what I decide then. But yeah, I think that would actually make a pretty decent difference. So maybe, um, maybe with models that come out that are actually able to, I mean, are actually meant to be using uh, Phoenix as <laughs> as the GPU, uh, will come with more system RAM. So you'll be able to dedicate eight gigabytes uh, to the graphics instead, and you'll get better performance. Mm-hmm. Um, because the important caveat is this system isn't actually a Phoenix, or it's not actually meant to use Phoenix as a primary graphics card. He disabled the 4060 that the laptop came with. Yeah, so because and I think he said models. there were some like graphical glitches too. Did he not? Because like it, it, it was he, early drivers that he, yeah he, he had issues. He chalked that up to early drivers uh, because this is a pre-release driver. Mm-hmm. So we'd say even with pre-release drivers, this thing seems to perform at least twenty percent better. But yeah, it's not it's not a a, a revelation, you know. Yeah, and I think it's going to be pretty much what we expected after I put out that. Uh, what is it? I like that Fire Striker. Was it Time Spy? I believe benchmark of, of Phoenix, where I also concluded it seems to be twenty five or so percent better or something. So this is corroborates that. But additionally, uh, I want to put this thing on screen here, where I've had this like old AMD internal presentation, kind of for AMD's partners for them to say this is what you should expect out of our performance out of APUs on the next two generations. And remember that Phoenix is monolithic, so it wouldn't suffer from the same issues as Navi 31. We don't think, probably. Um, but for those who have been guessing, oh, how strong is it going to be? I'll tell you right now, AMD thinks Phoenix is uh, a little better than a laptop 1650. And not a bad laptop 1650. They think it's a little better than a 50-watt GTX 1650. And I would say a little bit behind the 35 watt 3050. Now, let me actually put a ruler on screen here. Uh, I'd say they think, based on my measurements on screen here next to me on my side monitor, they think Phoenix will be about 10 to 25% better than a laptop 1650. So maybe just like desktop 1650 performance or close, uh, uh, which would put it, yeah, maybe even around an RTX or an RX 470. And then for Strix Point, which is also probably bigger news to people. <laughs> yeah, they think Strix will be like probably 30% better than Phoenix. And so if you add this all up, I don't know, by the time Strix comes out, they think things will be like 50 to 75% better than uh, Rembrandt. And so there you go. I'd say, which they say Strix should beat a 3050 max Q by mm-hmm. a little bit. So there you go, everybody. I mean, I just want to put this out there. Like, I'll tell you what AMD's own internal benchmarks say. They are telling themselves and their partners that Phoenix is a little better than a laptop and not a Max Hue, but a, a real laptop 1650. And that Strix is going to be, I mean, they say a little stronger than a 3050 Max Q. Okay. So let's just say it's as strong as a 3050. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so there you go. Um, and this was, this benchmark was Firestrike that they used for this. So, I don't know. I guess let's get into the real conversation then. We have, I had that Time Spy benchmark. Um, ETA Prime literally 
tested the card, and now I've got an internal presentation from AMD saying performance. I think we can just say it. Phoenix is about the performance of like a 1650, or maybe if you pushed an RX 470. What do you think about that? I, I think, it, it, once again, it gets you to that entry level uh, of performance. Like, speaking from my end, I think that level of performance is a little bit uh, long and a, a little bit limiting right now to the types of games you can play. Like, that's like what I have for a laptop. And it's not, it hasn't gotten to a point where I can't play games with that, but it can be annoying to get games to run at certain settings. Uh, and that so as an entry level uh integrated gpu that seems fine to me but i don't think we're at the level with phoenix yet where it's amazing but it would be cool to see it in like ultralight laptops uh advertise at like at 1080p low or 900p even in some games low settings uh like i don't know 600 bucks or something so your asus laptop didn't you get it for like 900 open box um i'm trying to remember i i believe not 900 i believe it was 950 or something like that okay so you paid so this was a year ago two years ago two and a half years ago almost really wow got it in Uh, 2020 so you had and you have like I think the seventy-five watt sixteen fifty or so, like the full sixteen fifty yeah. with GDDR six. In fact, that overclocks really well in Afterburner, to my memory. Um, you know, so that's pretty good. Probably, uh, will, probably about this level of performance, maybe a little better. <laughs> so that's what I'm kind of getting to, though. So, all right, so this is a forty-five watt APU that performs like your one hundred watt total CPU plus GPU, uh, and. I think importantly, though, your graphics card has four gigabytes of VRAM, and uh, this can use more than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this with eight gigabytes would, with eight gigabytes allowed to be used for graphics, would be a probably a pretty good 1080p card. Uh, 1080p like sixty, may, maybe 1080p 45 60 to low, 60. Turn on, you know, high, you know, the latest FSR 2.0 ultra quality, which I find is okay in 1080p actually now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think so. Um, and I think, um, I, I think this is an interesting situation, though, where it's good enough, though, where here's the, it seems like it kind of seems like AMD's on this path where they brought out Vega 8. And if we're being honest, I think if I remember right, that was only a like 30% better than the Vega 11 in the like Zen Plus APUs mm-hmm. or something. You know, they went from 11 to 8 compute units, but it was technically like Vega Plus, like it was halfway to RDNA 1 I- IPC. Uh, perform- let's just say performance per compute unit. Um, and then they went another year, and they really only boosted it in Saison with clock speed, so it's like 5% better. And then they went another year, and oh, all of a sudden it was like uh, 50%, maybe double with Rembrandt, but they had been almost offering the same Vega graphics really for like four generations yeah, yeah. in APUs. <laughs> So it was long overdue to double. Now we're going from a year later, Rembrandt to Phoenix. Let's just call it 30% better. And then we're going Rembrandt, I mean, uh, Phoenix to Strix. It seems like 40%, maybe 30, 40% better. So it seems like this thing of like 30 to 40% year over year, 
which if you think about a desktop graphics card lineups really come out every two years. So it's it's actually maybe slightly exceeding the pace of desktop cards a, a little bit here, it seems. Yeah. And it did make up for some last ground with Rembrandt. I do feel like I, I think we're to the point where these are good enough, finally, for gaming. But it's not yet to where we write home about them, right? Uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, it it's, it's at this weird point where Phoenix almost feels like the, the graphics card is the IGPU is doing nothing because uh, it's not that it's weak. It's just at that point where it's not quite strong enough to be tantalizing as the sole, as a system with a only an APU and no discrete graphics card. But it also feels like you're leaving a lot of what the APU has on the table when you're pairing it with a graphics card. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, well, you know what, Dan? There's one product where that's probably going to change a lot very soon. That is the product we're going to talk about in story number four. AMD Strix Halo leaked. And here's the write-up. For years, PC gaming enthusiasts were wondering if AMD would ever build a true latest console or Apple M-series mega APU competitor for enthusiast laptop gaming without having to plug it into the wall. And this weekend, Moore's Laws did leaked that they will with their Strix Halo uh, line next year. In summary, Strix Halo or Sarlacc, according to Kepler on Twitter, uh, is at least a partially 4 nanometer multi-chip APU. It goes up to 16 cores with a benchmark that I've seen showing it performing 25% faster than 16-core Dragon Range and Cinebench R23. It also goes up to 40 compute units and is directly compared to the laptop RTX 4070. It plans to be offered in products that go all the way from 20-watt APU class to 120-watt APU class, and it has a 256-bit LPDDR5X memory controller. It also has a 40 tops AI engine. Uh, according to the little information out there, it seems like Phoenix is 12 tops in its AI engine. So a lot better than Phoenix, but not nearly as good as the like A10 Tensor GPUs I've seen. I think that are 400 tops or something. And while it was originally planned for the first half of 2024, according to the sources I talked to at least, it does seem like they think it's going to slip to quarter four by now uh, of next year, meaning it is at least a year away. and maybe over mm-hmm. a year away. But AMD does, according to my sources, want this out before Blackwell so they can compare it to Lovelace cards, which they are in their current comparison. And well, that's about it. AMD clearly sees this as its own segment of extra efficient APUs separate from Fire Range or Strix Point. Uh, oh, and NVIDIA is all but canceling the MX series. I've been told they have no plans to make 108 dies anymore. And they're just going to maybe sparingly launch MX class cards um, with the very, 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 very worst yields of like, you know, the 107 dies. Uh, but the amount of yields they'll have for that are very little. And they think in, they, they think that the actual MX branding itself is going to be canceled as well. So uh, we can now see why based on the performance of this thing. So and this was quite a lot of work this week as I, Put together this information i know i think this excited you but i haven't really had a good chance to talk with you about it honestly offline yet what do you think of strix halo yeah i mean it seems for i, I would not have expected next generation uh 
to go all the way up to 40 CEUs. I, I would have expected like maybe 20 at, at the top end, something like that. Or, but so 40 is a lot more than I expected. And that kind of puts it firmly as an APU that gets mid range graphics performance. I mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and mid range at the time. Um, yeah. This, this is, uh, this isn't like, uh, yeah, this isn't, oh, it beats a mid-range card from four years ago <laughs> or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. Or, or, I mean, I and I actually thought this was dumb. You know, that one of the dumbest things AMD's did that I didn't, I didn't feel like enough people called them out for when they revealed Rembrandt and they're like, the 680M is as strong as a 1650 Max-Q when you use FSR, but not FSR on the 1650 Max-Q. <laughs> like, that was just so bizarre to me. So I'm like, Okay, so the 35 watt 1650, not the real 1650. Also, for some reason, you're not using FSR, even though this NVIDIA card can run FSR. Okay, AMD, just say it's a 1050 Ti and save us the trouble here. <laughs> but um, they didn't have to do that with this, you know. Or they won't or, have to do that with Or they this. won't have to. From the sounds of it, they have, uh, well, not sounds, I saw slides. They're directly comparing it to the 4070 laptop chip and not like this the 35 watt one the full the full one with their top bend products um and i think this is an important distinction as well they're not uh they're not saying this is a 120 watt thing they say 20 to 120 watts and i saw on some slides like cinebench scores of various things which we'll see what i do with that information i've already shared some of it but i actually have more scores i could share when i feel like it um that they compare it to like Phoenix, Alder Lake and Raptor Lake chips, uh, Dragon Range, and Cinebench scores. But when they compare them at different wattages, they're like 28 watt and lower is eight or six cores. So what that tells me is they see this as this own, its own distinct product line, separate from Strix and other APUs. And it is meant to just be it's not competing with Dragon Range. It's not competing with Phoenix. It's not competing with Rembrandt or Escher or Kraken. We'll get to that in a second. Or all of these other APUs they're working on. It kind of competes with all of them, but it uses like half the energy. That's what this mm -hmm. is. This is, if you want the most efficient 8-core gaming laptop, it's going to be a 28-watt APU, apparently, that is meant to be 40-50 performance plus an 8-core. That's what they're comparing it, which... The 4050 is about 30, 60 performance at higher TDPs, lower TDPs, a little weaker, you know. So that's what that's what they're saying, you know, is we just want this to be an offering in every segment. If you'll pay extra, well, then you know what? That uh <laughs> that that 11 inch laptop doesn't have a 25 watt 4050. It has a tw and a 25 watt CPU. It has a 28 watt total <laughs> APU that games the same as both. And and mm -hmm. that's really exciting. Yeah, I mean the one thing that stands out to me is AMD better be putting a lot of work into uh getting models for this thing made because this definitely won't just be a easily slot into existing uh chassis, I don't think. Like yeah. they're go because this thing is that ha that has to be a big die. Right, like a relatively big compared to what we see now. I mean, you know, it, it depends. If 
let me think here because if we let's assume the IO die slash GPU die is like four nanometer, which I believe, which I believe it is, but I guess I can't rule out that it's six considering it's coming out next year. I'm going to guess four. um, like let's take that and say Phoenix with 12 compute units is I think 178 millimeter squared. All right. So if we remove the 16 megabytes of cache and the eight cores, I think you're probably looking at now it's like 120 or something. All right. Double it. Double the memory bus. Double the compute units. Actually, maybe even. Yeah. So then then you're at about like, I yeah, I think 250, 250 to 350 millimeters squared for the IO GPU die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I, I, and a, a total package size of what then? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's going to be a big a, a big guy. Uh, and you know, that's going to need a way different cooling solution than having a discrete graphics card and a CPU on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not saying it's uncoolable or something, just that's going to require a different solution. <laughs> but if you put in that effort, you know, you don't have to have a fan because a lot of lap gaming laptops, they have like a series of copper pipes going in two directions. And then mm-hmm. there's usually one fan here, one fan here, both shooting air out of the back two parts of this laptop you can just have one one fan attached to one 28 watt you know whatever you just have to make a different heat sink and that makes the cooling way simpler or i mean if you think about it you know instead of having to have like maybe a bunch of these different thin laptop fans for each component you can just say hey here's this in total probably maybe three let's just say 300 millimeter squared thing you can have a ton of heat pipes to all these other fans pulling heat out if you put in the effort, it's going to be a lot cooler, too, and actually oh, yeah. cheaper to cool. You just have to make new coolers for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, let's save some more of this discussion for getting through uh, reader mail in the next uh, story then here. Beefish writes in and says, a couple questions and clarifications and maybe a comment. Okay, let's get to each one then, Beefish. First of all, whoa, AMD seemingly listening to the masses is shocking to me here. Do we think that moving to a chiplet-based design, though, will allow them to speed up production and increase volume? Um, and secondly, I figured, let's see, is, have they figured out a way to mitigate the chiplet penalty, as he calls it? This is clearly not the thing AMD could do easily monolithic. Well, actually, they could have made this monolithically pretty easily. Um, but it seems like a 16-core plus 40 CU, even on that would be over 150 watts if we extrapolate where Dragon Range appears to be. Dragon Range is there typically 75 watts. Um, no, I, I don't think, I don't agree with basically any of your assessment here, Beefish. I mean, I think when it comes to a chiplet penalty, having to communicate between multiple dies, there is an energy penalty there. Mm-hmm. There just always will be, in a literal sense. But that mostly affects, as far as we've seen, the golden samples. Golden samples for a monolithic design are better than a chiplet one. But it does seem like everything we're seeing with like Alder Lake versus Zen 3 and Zen 4 versus Raptor Lake is in the mid-range. The efficiency is way, way, way better and the performance is more consistent because while there is an efficiency penalty, if you will, with different dyes communicating, the dyes are smaller and have better yields and less defects. And so that seems to kind of mitigate it in the mid-range or lower, honestly, mm-hmm. with these chiplet designs. And so, no, I don't think AMD had to fix any penalty here. 
I think the fact that these were built to be integrated together uh, and be as close to each other as possible. Whereas, let's remember, what kind of penalty and energy do you think there is with a GPU communicating with a CPU across an entire motherboard? It's still way, 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 way more efficient than if it was two separate chips, again, across a motherboard communicating. Yeah, I I don't know. It seems, because I I understand that there's a penalty for when chiplets are communicating, but that feels like it's ignoring the fact that previous to what we've had, (laughs) <laughs> we're talking about two completely separate packages on a on a motherboard that are communicating mm-hmm. with one another. So I don't know. Maybe there will be a penalty uh, relative to Phoenix, but it's also uh, three times bigger than Phoenix. The GPU die. Yeah. Furthermore, Beefish, I think your Dragon Range info is just. I don't know where you where you're getting this from they have those at 45 to 75 watts and they find that the eight core dragon range is crushing a lot of raptor lake like (laughs) i don't remember how many cores but more cores uh at lower power so dragon range is efficient and at least it's supposed to go up to 75 watts i've actually heard they may push for a higher tdp rating for some of these because they've realized wait if intel's using 125 watts and we're limiting this to 75 watts why don't we just let it use 95 so that might change, but so far, officially, they seem to show, like, I think the 7945HX 16 core, like, they're like, it's a 75 watt chip. So from that perspective, no, a lot of graphics cards use 75 watts. This is a four nanometer one, not a six. Uh, and if, all right, so 75 plus 70, yeah, no, it's it's entirely reasonable. This would use only 120 watts, I think. Yeah. Um, and in terms of production and volume, you know, as long as you can get into the designs, I this would probably be cheaper actually than a separate graphics card and CPU, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, why I would really, it be I, any I, more? It's the same yeah. as silicon. I, I don't know why it would be more. <laughs> you know, so I think all of this is the R and D, and you know, getting it OEMs to work with you cost, and they'll probably want to charge more for these mega APUs at first of all the money they had to put into getting this off the ground and designing it. But what they're probably telling OEMs is, we're going to be doing this for the next 10 years. So design for this socket now, and over the next 10 years, this will actually be cheaper to make. So just do that, you know? Yeah. And long-term, they, I, I mean, what do you, guys, what do you think's cheaper? A 185 millimeter squared, four nanometer, 4070, plus a, like, 200 millimeter squared 200 something millimeter squared raptor lake cpu or a chiplet but still almost you know like this unified 300 millimeter squared total apu like what's cheaper they would not cost more it's just it's new but the 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 successor to this will be cheaper to make probably than the combinations it's competing with that are less efficient i yeah once again i don't see why it wouldn't be because now it there's all the uh extra costs of like packaging uh of having two separate packages right for the g having the gpu and cpu be separate from one another Mm -hmm. so So, i don't know why it would be more expensive well and you know think of it this way too you don't need to put separate vram 
on the motherboard next to that. And then that wastes energy. Because think you're wasting energy with the GPU communicating with the VRAM over here and then sending the data to the CPU over here that has its RAM in different places over here. There's one 256-bit memory controller around the whole package. It's just all communicating together way closer. This is going to be the idle power consumption compared to the competing laptops will be absurdly better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, so, yeah. and, And, well, yes, obviously it, they can share the RAM. That means you're still using up some of that RAM. I still think you give it 32 gigabytes total. That's more than enough. So you're saving money overall. You're not, you don't need as much overkill. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, it's just a better design, guys. <laughs> that over time, if AMD puts effort into it, will be hard to compete with, which I opened up the leak slide by talking about that. You know, AMD expects to get to 35 to 40% market share this year in server. They think after that, there's a chance it'll be harder to take every percentage point because of entrenched Intel customers. They have money now, too. So they're, this is a big push into laptop. And it's not just with Strix Halo, in fact. Jesse here loves sticks, but it definitely wouldn't be healthy if I just let her chow down on them all the time as much as she would like to. The same is usually true for reasonably priced instant meals for humans. It's easy to feel stuck looking for something that's quick to cook, tasty, healthy, and cheap all at the same time. Well, unless you consider Vite Ramen, this piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy for you to add protein and other ingredients of your choice to make a complete hearty meal, or their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or at home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's Laws Dead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and other food products, cooking utensils, and more. And when you order this spring, know that Vite just shut down for three months and re launched their entire operation to improve speed, customer service, and just to improve things in the back end so they can keep up with how popular their product has become. Supporting them helps support me. And even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference. But I really do like their product and I recommend it. So if you're hungry for something that's healthy, cheap, and easy to make, check out Vite Ramen and use offer code BrokenSilicon today. Let us now move on to story number five, Strixpoint, Hotpoint, and other APUs leaked. The RTX 4070 sale and Strix Halo weren't the only things yours truly leaked in in the last Moore's Laws did video. More AMD APU details were leaked as well. And here they are in order. In quarter one, 2024, AMD plans to launch Hotpoint, a once called an older roadmaps I've seen Phoenix Plus product that is Maybe just a rebrand of Phoenix, but the fact that they called it Phoenix Plus makes me wonder if there's tweaks to it. But, you know, that's coming. At best, at worst, it's like, you know, the 7735HS Rembrandt Plus, whatever. So expect them to have a slightly better Phoenix launch in quarter one of next year at CES, followed then in quarter two or quarter three by Zen 5 Strix Point, which will launch with 12 cores and 16 RDNA 3 Plus compute units. Note that, as I've already shown on screen, This should perform like a laptop 3050 with its integrated graphics. And according to one of my sources, the 12 cores AMD is talking about with partners is actually four Zen 5 cores, 
plus eight Zen 5C cores. But note, the IPC between Zen 5 and Zen 5C, this isn't like Intel Big Little. They should have the same IPC. And in fact, they probably share a unified level L3 cache. So there's 24 megabytes of L3 cache. That's two megabytes per core. That's the same amount of megabytes per core as Phoenix. So I see no reason why the way Strix works is it's not just there's 12 cores, but we took eight of the cores, made them more dense to use less voltage, take up less space. But they were probably going to be clocked lower anyways in all multi-threaded workloads. So it is really just a 12 core, a, an extra efficient 12 core Zen 5 CPU uh, with, again, 16 compute units that should perform like a 3050. Again, making the MX series a complete joke. Uh, and then I also leaked Strix Halo, which I've talked about, uh, and Fire Range, which should launch next to Strix Halo. Now, Fire Range is the successor to Dragon Range. Um, it should be 25 to 30% better performance, maybe 35% better performance than Dragon Range. And it's supposed to smash all CPU mobility records when it comes out. I also saw references to something called Kraken and then Escher. Uh, APUs for 2025, although I, I know nothing about them besides these are code names. And then Mendocino, that budget four core Zen 2 CPU is supposed to keep being used in budget builds till 2025. See no reference to something I've heard of before called Sonoma Valley. So I don't know if they've already decided these micro APUs are a stupid waste of money. No idea. Um, oh, and there's supposedly a Strix 3. This was re-verified. I only have the specs for Strix 1 and Strix 2, which is Point and Halo. But there's another Strix. My guess is it's a smaller, big, little, little Phoenix successor coming out end of next year. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Strix. I don't know. That sounds like uh, they typically call the lower one some artist name, right? Or am I misremembering how they do it? I, I don't really know what they do anymore, Dan. Kraken, okay. Escher, Strix, Fire Range. It, well, there's Kraken, a lot of. Kraken's another mythical. Th monster so i guess that's, that's a true to phoenix Fall, uh, budget or, phoenix though now yeah and then escher is another artist so whatever they slot an artist at <laughs> yeah but then they did hawk point why hawk point i don't hawk know mythical i guess maybe i thought they i were don't gonna, know <laughs> i mean dan when i saw when i saw phoenix strix which is a i think a bird of bad omen in mythology and dragon i'm like oh so always winged mythological things but now they say kraken that doesn't fly so i don't know what's going on dan yeah their their code names seem to just be all over the place these days some somebody at amd likes mythical creatures somebody likes birds and somebody, somebody likes, likes artists <laughs> that's right maybe this is just they get to name it i'm looking up escher yeah because oh, the only is thing escher I'm, an artist it is yeah, isn't it mc escher of course so I don't know why I didn't realize that until now. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, Dan. I don't know. You're right. No, you're right, though. Kraken and Esther. I just think, I mean, and I've been told that some senior, uh, I think some senior engineers get to make these naming calls sometimes. For all we know, there's someone who's in charge of some stuff that likes saying artist names, and there's someone who likes something else. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, other than that, I mean, like, <sighs> I, I don't think there's that much to say about Hawk Point, right? That's just another rebadge that they need to do so they can get things out in time for when laptop makers want to make new models at the beginning of the year, right? 
Yeah, and it makes sense. Again, for dual sourcing, you make some stuff. Well, his Strix is also on 4 nanometer. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just cheaper and they can just rebrand it and keep making them. Yeah. Uh, then I would say Strix Point is closer to what I would have expected the top end would have been. Uh, for the record, on multiple PowerPoints, they have premium mobile and then premium mobile again for Hawk Point and Strix Point. So even though one of them cool. is clearly better, Dan, no, they're both premium AMD. Because I do think even with just uh, 16 compute units, um, that's easily going to be, that's going to get, I think, like pretty good 1080p performance if you have 8 gigabytes of RAM and 16 compute units with Mm -hmm. assuming that they're slightly better IP. Or more, or 12, 16 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah. But like you can allocate. Yeah. I mean, even assuming it's the same IPC as uh, Phoenix, that would be, or we should all just say, like as you said performance for compute unit you would still expect that to be 30 percent better than phoenix so uh, mm-hmm. that seems pretty good <laughs> at least 30 percent um i i don't know a lot of details yet but it does sound like rdna3 plus is probably not like vega to vega plus for renoir but mm-hmm. it's not nothing it it is better a lot a decently better per compute unit so okay i th- i think and you know we look at the slide um i think it looks like I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be like 35 to 40% better, okay. at least based on preliminary data. So that's, that's good. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, I don't have too many other thoughts off the top of my head. It's just this Strix point looks like what I, one of the best I would have imagined uh, the follow-up to Phoenix would be. And I guess there's just another die on top of that where they're going for mid-range performance. And then fire range, I think, is kind of odd with the existence of Halo Point, but I guess that's for I mean, not Halo, Strix Halo. Uh, but I think that's for what the ultra high end where they pair it with a discrete graphics card still. Well, Dan, QH Freddy writes in and he Ooh. asks, with Strix Halo offering 16 cores, do you think many laptop vendors will bother with fire range if they can just use Strix Halo? With 128-bit memory and the iGPU nerfed, is it just cost advantages of not being a huge package? What else does Fire Range have that Strix Halo does not? Number one, Fire Range will fit into the same socket as Dragon Range. So all of those designs next year, they don't need to wait. They don't need to wait for those special laptops that can only use Strix Halo. Or what is it? Um, what did Kepler say it was supposedly called? Uh, Sarlacc. Sarlacc or Sarlacc, whatever it is. For the star, for the uh, engineer, that's a Star Wars fan. Although I mean that, I'm assuming they're all Star Wars fans. But <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's some Star Trek fans who are very mad at AMD right now that you said <laughs> that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, let's let's be clear, QH Freddy. It's it's really useful that they can just drop that into the same socket. Same with you know, like all of these other like rebrands of Phoenix and Rembrandt. Like there's like no effort. Drop it into the laptop. Better bend. Here we go. So that's one reason. The second reason, it's going to be like, what, like 200 to what did it do? Like 250 to 350 total millimeter squared or something for, or a little smaller than that, probably 300 or less for Dragon Range or for Fire Range, sorry. (laughs) And then Strix Halo is bigger than that. If you don't, if you're going to use like an RTX 5090 in the laptop, Mm -hmm. use Dragon Range. Uh, Also, I know that AMD was going around and showing 12 core or 12 core Strix point 
Well, not really telling people that it, some of them are Zen 5 sequence shouldn't make a difference to performance, really. But in some apps, it might, especially at higher TDPs, which is what Fire Range is meant for. So I'm pretty sure Fire Range, again, just like Dragon Range, just uses two eight core full Zen 5 chiplets. I'm not 100% sure of that with uh, Strix Halo yet. I think it does. But I'm not 100%. Oh, okay. And you've got to consider like which bins they would use for fire range. Or not, like, even then, you know, like they might be binning for lower voltage, not higher clocks. And so there's just a reason. Th- there's three reasons. Dragon range fits into the same laptops as uh, if fire range fits in the same laptops as dragon range. Fire range goes for higher clocks for those bins. And also uh, it wastes less silicon. You know, if you don't need those integrated graphics, you're pairing it with an RTX 5080, you know, in a laptop. Why would you ever waste that much silicon with Strix uh, <laughs> Halo? So th- there's a lot of good yeah. reasons for this. Um, let me see here. Uh, Elithior writes in and says, hey, Tom, I recently ordered an HX80G. It's supposed, it's supposed to be showing up today, in fact, when I'm writing this. It has a 262-watt power brick. It sports a 5800H and 6000M. So this is like that Mini's forum PCI I, re- I did an ad and mini review for, except it has separate 6600M and a 5800H. I've been thinking about u- the use of something like this in a PC cafe due to the low power draw to maximize your profit per hour of use. What are your thoughts on products like this? But then based around Phoenix and Strix and cropping up to fill this niche, and fill empty space in locations where electricity may be very costly. This potentially opens up a whole new level for gaming of people in areas where energy costs are very high. Well, right. That's something interesting to think about for internet cafes. I think in a lot of Asian countries, the, uh, the energy is actually very cheap, but certainly not all of them, I'm sure. And you do have to think about that. If this CP, if this system is going to be on all day and you have an option that's the same price that uses half the energy and it takes up less space too. Yeah. <laughs> Why would the internet cafes just not go with a bunch of Strix Halo slash Sarlacc systems? Why not? You know, um, and I think this is a very oh, yeah. real point. I think before this didn't really work because it wasn't that much more efficient. It wasn't really, it was actually not cheaper, but I think it might be, if not next year, the year after, and that would be a re- very real consideration. Oh yeah, I, I mean this, especially if you uh, you said like Halo Strix uh, or Strix Halo can go all the way to like twenty eight watts, right? Yeah, I mean that sounds ideal for an internet cafe. Like, I don't know where internet cafes are still a big thing, but or well, remember where he all might the mean places gaming cafe too, but yeah, like Japan, well, yeah, people. Or- I I believe they're also still used to some degree in like a, a lot of Eastern European countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I, I've met some people that did a lot of their gaming on PC cafes when they were kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that, I mean, that sounds like a reasonable use for them. Yeah. And again, I just think, um, you know, Early on, it's probably going to cost more because AMD knows it's a better product. They're going to say, this is an Apple M-series competitor. You get the same performance as the competition or a combination of our separate parts, but it uses less energy. We're going to charge a premium for that. And plus, we put all this money into R&D, helping OEMs build laptops around it. That cost us money. 
there's a lot, there's millions and millions of dollars went into making this thing be its own separate product. But mm-hmm. once that product's launched, once the socket is supported on OEMs, once they're designing laptops around that, the follow-up to Sarlacc, which would be what, uh, Bantha? Like, you know, whatever, right? Or Ewok. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever the follow-up is, it shouldn't cost any more to make. And then you just start making these maybe 50 to 100 watt nucks that are like this big. Game like a mid-range desktop, but don't cost more to make and use half the energy. And yeah, I can see a lot of gaming cafes filling it up with that. And again, doesn't use the monitor. You don't have to replace a monitor like you do on a laptop. So you could see these gaming cafes are slotting out the nucks every three years. And that mm-hmm. saves them way more money in that department as well, in addition to energy. Um, let me see here. I got a good question from Kerry Nosugata. Says, Tom, congrats on that mega APU leak. Apart from the fact that it's over a year away, do you think Strix Halo will save us from the VRAM apocalypse? Uh, because the minimum VRAM requirements for modern AAA games seems to almost always be 8 gigabytes at this point. And this thing looks really good on paper. But what about the cost? I'm currently expecting it to have a lower bomb cost than an equivalent Phoenix and Navi 33 solution. Well, also actually being faster than both of those and being more power efficient and compact. Do you have any particular insights uh, or information on the expected cost for this? We kind of addressed that already. Um, So in terms of the VRAM apocalypse, I actually put a lot of thought, maybe too much thought into this question. Um, Because basically he's asking, well, because APUs can use more than eight gigabytes of VRAM, does this mean that developers can, or, or budget gamers can go for this instead of eight gigabyte cards? And you know, I, I, I thought of it this way. If you're a game developer and you're seeing on the horizon all of these Strix APUs, uh, and we'll get to it in a second, Meteor Lake, that's going to have very good integrated gra- gaming performance, integrated graphics, and not have an 8 gigabyte VRAM issue, you're going to look at it with these data points, I think. Data point one, all modern consoles, including the Steam Deck, have 16 gigabytes of RAM at least, besides the Xbox Series S, which I I thought was going to have issues, but all right. Data point number two, it seems like AMD at this point is offering 12 gigabytes of Ram for all of their graphics cards above 350. and heck right now you can get a 6,710 gigabyte for 300. Mm-hmm. Okay. Data point number three, seems like AMD selling 16 gigabyte DPUs for as low as 450 and up now. Okay. Data point number four, NVIDIA still for some reason wants you to pay more than 500 for 12 gigabytes. Then data point number five, AMD does still sell eight gigabyte cards, but they're always $300 or less. They won't care if they have to game in 1080p if you paid that little. And then data point number six, huh, AMD's now got 2060 performance coming with some of these APU. Like I'm saying Strix point will be probably just below a 2060 in integrated mm-hmm. performance. That's good. That's like a 2060 with unlimited VRAM, basically. Or uh, assu- know, assuming um, OEMs decide to pair these with an appropriate amount of VRAM and I mean, 32 VRAM, gigabytes. As a, yeah, hopefully they don't. I don't know why they wouldn't allow you to go up to 32 gigabytes or at a minimum have an expansion slot so you can upgrade it to 32 if you want to. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's some really dumb models that only allow you to get 16 gigabytes for some reason. But I hope right. I'm wrong. <laughs> if they only if they don't come with a dedicated card and they only have 16 gigs of RAM, that's pretty stupid. I agree. Yes. But, <laughs> you know, final data point, point number seven. 
I guess NVIDIA still has these 12 gigabyte and 8 gigabyte cards, but this is the worst selling series in NVIDIA's recent like five years so far. So if you're a game developer, you're going, the consoles have plenty of RAM. AMD is selling 8 gigabyte cards still, but they're so cheap. Certainly those people aren't expecting more than 1080p and they're set giving you 12 or 16 gigs for fairly cheap prices now. And now APUs are as strong or like almost to next gen console performance or Strix Halo stronger. But I mean, like the normal small APUs are like getting there and they don't have VRAM issues. Nothing has VRAM issues anymore. Nothing. Nothing has VRAM issues anymore, except, except for the low end of Lovelace that no one bought. So why would we worry about that tiny market of cards no one bought from one vendor? And people that bought 3070s. But. In 2024, it's four years old. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in 2024, 3070 is a firmly low-end car. Well, it is. Call yeah, it low-end. So, so, someone might be offended. I want to call it a mid-range card still, but it's low-end. Yeah. So so what are we... I mean, yeah, the Navi 33 is probably going to be a hair below a 3070. That's low-end, guys. Like, what do you want me to tell you? You know, if you paid $800 for it, I didn't make you do that. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, to answer Karino Sugata's question here, I just actually don't think these APUs help the VRAM apocalypse. I don't think anyone who has a 3070 is going to go, oh, I'm glad I can just get a weaker APU to solve the issue. What I think this is going to do is ram it down their throats even more because developers, again, are going to go, AMD gives you tons of VRAM. The consoles give you enough VRAM. And now even APUs are strong enough to run AAA games and have tons of VRAM. Sorry to whoever bought low-end Lovelace, but this is the worst-selling NVIDIA lineup in a while, and you bought the wrong card. Like yeah. That's what I think a lot of developers are going to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's just... Uh, yes, the advancement of technology is going to march onward, even if you bought a 3070 and feel bad about it now. And remember how important this is like this point that was brought up with the infinity war dev on the uh uh last broken silicon he goes nvidia used to talk to us and ask us what they should put into their cards mm -hmm. and they haven't for years they just assumed they can make things and dictate that's what games will run on and well in a, mar in a market where what percent of cards are nvidia i mean i, I don't know the exact number but in a market where it's like 90% of cards or 80% of cards are, are NVIDIA. Say 75. They can, I, I think they can dictate that to a large degree, but once you have a competitor that's getting into the 20, 25% of the market, or 25, 30% of the market, then it becomes a lot more difficult for them to completely uh, dictate what the market does, even if they're still the obviously dominant force in the market. Uh, because... They might still be dominant, but if they are slipping against a resurgent competitor, then they're going to the their loss in market share is going to continue slipping. I mean, getting well, worse. Well, and again, let's be very clear about this. Nvidia controls seventy five percent of the market. How many of those are eleven gigabyte ten eighty Ti's? How many of those yeah, are twenty eighty Ti's? Probably not a lot for the twenty eighty Ti, relatively speaking. But my understanding is the 4090, from the sounds of it, has maybe outsold the 4080 and 4070 Ti combined. So if you're a developer, you're saying the shitty VRAM cards didn't sell this gen and the 8 gigabyte and less cards from last gen are four years old, so they're low end. The only cards this really affects is 
for being honest, 3070 through 4070 Ti, maybe. Everything yep, yep. else, if priced correctly, is either more 16 gigabytes in the 4080. Those people are fine. 1080 Ti owners are fine. It's only this set of cards. 3050s are fine. It's an 8 gigabyte card. You're in 1080p anyways. And uh, 3060 Ti owners. But right. You know, 3060 so, Ti owners are just doubly screwed over 3070 owners, I guess. But Well, I mean, that was always... That was, I don't want to get it. That was always No, the 3060 Ti, they didn't make a lot of them. And if you got it, it was cheaper than the 3070 anyways. Um, again, you got a $400 card. Four years later, it's in 1080p. I don't know. I mean, but, yeah. so, and no one made you get that over a 6700 XT. Uh, but yeah, so, I don't know. I just want to be clear about that, that if you're a developer, yes, NVIDIA may own 75% of the market, but not all of those cards are 8 gigabytes or less. But a lot of the ones that are from recent releases, it's really the 3070 owners, guys. And they'll yeah. say that's four years old. <laughs> and again they're not saying it's not going to work it's just you have to play in 1080p um all right let us now then move on to the final story story number six intel adamantine leak all right this is gonna be a pretty brief write-up finally moore's law is dead has also leaked adamantine a sort of level four cache that should offer Tons of uh, uh, capacity relative to other types of cache that is manufactured for now on the Intel 16 node and soon on the 10 nanometer node, at least according to the sources I talked to, and is being tested in 128 to 512 megabyte capacities for Meteor Lake's integrated graphics style. However, it was also intended to be used based on the people I talked to. I actually heard about it first, not in reference to Meteor Lake. I heard about it in reference to Big Battle Mage, which might be canceled now anyways. Uh, and it was supposed to have gigabytes of capacity. Uh, and so this is some sort of well-guarded special cache that is not just for APUs. It's meant to allow in Intel to put like eight gigabytes of a slower infinity cache on a flagship graphics card and then put it like another 16 below it or 32 below it. And... Depending on the tier of the card, I wonder if on 10 nanometer they could get this past 8 gigabytes and make low-end cards that just have... Or mid-range cards, it's cash. hard to say. <laughs> yeah, all cash. It's it's a question. Although the person I talked to thought it would come out a little too late for that. Um, additionally, since I have leaked uh, Adamantine, a patent was found re referencing <laughs> the name by Intel from 2020, which is so funny, I guess. Everyone overlooked this. But I'm sure there's tons of patents with weird little names. But yeah, so it's called Adamantine. They're testing it up to 512 megabytes for Meteor Lake, although I'm not sure exactly where you'd put it. Maybe 128 megabytes is maybe what they'll go with. Who knows? Um, and they want to use this on graphics cards, and they're actually hoping this will be a selling point to get NVIDIA on their nodes, by the way. So, like, if they did do that, too, look, I don't know how much die space this would take up for per gigabyte, but consider if Blackwell's 800 millimeters squared I don't think Blackwell uses this. So, you know, let's say Blackwell next is either 800 millimeters squared or 400 millimeters squared of, um, I guess I don't know the reticle limit. I'm thinking of the reticle limits based on TSMC. Uh, let's say you got this big giant NVIDIA graphics card coming in a few years. And, you know, you'd say, well, AMD is about to make a 1000 millimeter squared chiplet GPU. Right. But what if NVIDIA goes to like, <laughs> 800 millimeter squared, but then puts 800 millimeter squared 16 gigabytes of cache and saves on how much cache they have on that die. 
making it almost like it's a multi-die GPU anyways, right? It's a lot of cash. <laughs> right. So this is a this is a big thing for Intel. They think this can give this a leg up. And that is also why when I talked about that AMD internal presentation there, um, and I don't know, if, uh, the people I talked to at AMD are not aware of adamantine. People at NVIDIA aren't either. <laughs> so when AMD projects that Meteor Lake is weaker than Phoenix, that I don't know if they're wrong because of that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know for sure. And uh, I, I think this is exciting. And this would have made Meteor Lake really cool if it came out before Meteor Lake, like it was supposed to. Wait. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I Once again, with newer tech like this, I, I usually don't have as many thoughts because I just don't know what the implementation of it will really look like. But if, if, uh, Intel were suddenly able to put just a new layer, new level of uh, cash on all of their stuff. That sounds like it would possibly give them a leg up versus what they have right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how much more I really have to say about this. I mean, the people I've talked to at Intel think this is actually something no one else is making and this could be a big deal. And I just hope they have any product that will use it. Because when I asked some of the people working specifically on Adamantine, they were like, well, you know, if Top Battle Mage is canceled, that was what's supposed to use it first. <laughs> um, at least this person thought so, you know. And now we're hearing Meteor Lake might. Although, to be honest, even some people who worked on Meteor Lake didn't seem to know about it. So this seems like a very highly guarded it's- tech. Well, is there any reason that like a lower end battle mage guy couldn't use it, or is it just not? Would it be worth it, it if it's too weak? Or, you know, yeah, it's kind of like AMD could go up to 192 megabytes of infinity cache on Navi 31, but they've chosen not to. Mm-hmm. Pro- maybe because it not only works well enough, they don't need it, but also because it. I mean, this thing underperformed, so it'd be a waste of money to make it cost more for like whatever small boost it would get, relatively speaking. So. Yeah. A lot of people I talked to about Battle Mage being canceled were like, well, this is what this was for. <laughs> but I guess we'll see. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's exciting. Um, I do think that means that Meteor Lake will offer decent integrated graphics gaming um, as well uh, to Phoenix and Strix. All right. Let us now then move on to the final wrap-up. These are, of course, the stories they don't get their own full discussions, but we thought were worth mentioning. Uh, let's see what we got here. We have, oh, the pro art line from Asus, which were dual slot, reasonably sized versions of the 4090 uh, for prof- and they don't look gamery as well. They look professional. So I don't know. I, I've heard these are going to cost an arm and a leg, though, anyway, so I don't know who cares that much. Is it wait? Does the is there a forty eight ninety version of it? I'm only seeing a forty eighty and forty seventy Ti version of these. Let me see. Because if it were only that, that would be hilarious. I I don't get why a forty. Oh, you're right. It seems like it might only be forty eighty and forty seventy Ti. You might be right. I don't see why a forty ninety can't fit in a two point five slot card though. Like, I don't know. Especially uh, like obviously the same performance at 350 watts. Uh, obviously it can't hit the insane power limit, but like just give a, a 350 watt power limit, right? That should be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> For, I think so. But I guess. Well, and I pushed cool my liquid cooled Supreme 4090 
to have a limit of uh I think I, I think it goes up to like 550 watts with my card. Uh and I tried to make it use that much in real games, not Furmark. I, I couldn't. It's still pretty much maxed out at 500 watts. So I agree. And, and it, you generally run it at 350, right? Mm-hmm. I, I beat stock with the I've overclocked it. It runs at like 2.8, 2.9 gigahertz at 350 watts. I, I mean, there's no need for this card to be that. They were they just thought they might need to make it use 600 watts because of RDNA 3, and it turned out they didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's the pro art line. If it's overpriced and not on the 4090, who cares? <laughs> um, and then we have Immortals of Avium requires eight gigabyte GPUs. First Unreal Engine five game. Guess what, guys? Eight gigabytes. Not recommended. Minimum requirements. Well, at least no one's excited and making for Unreal Engine four, five and making a bunch of games on those, right? Oh yeah. wait. <laughs> I saw Hardware Box tweet. I'm sure this is the twelfth unoptimized game to come out in the year, right, guys? <laughs> we definitely don't need to worry yet. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, all right, uh, Intel, and uh, let's save that one for the last of the wrap up. Actually, um, I saw a new test. Speaking of Hardware and Box of DLSS and FSR, and I did find it interesting. I'd put it into like three buckets. Um, in the best implementations of FSR, the latest FSR 2.0, because I don't know what it's on, like 2.1. What, what, I don't know. Um, in the latest implementations of DLSS, it seems like they are very, very close to each other, but DLSS is, of course, a little better. But I still think at this point, we can generally put the best FSR 2.0, best DLSS 2.0 implementations into three different buckets. It seems like a third of the games, it looks better than native in 4K overall. A third of the games, it's equal, slightly better at some parts, slightly worse than other things. And a third bucket, we can say it's slightly worse looking than native 4K. So yeah. on average, guys, I, I don't know. This is like, I think the last time you were on, Dan, someone asked us, it was either that or a die shrink. Someone asked, how often do we turn on DLSS or FSR? And me and you said, almost always. Yeah, I, I mean, that's impressive and like... I don't know. For for me, even if there is a slight loss in visual quality, it's usually worth it. Um, I mean, there are some implementations of uh, FSR, like at the at the like lower end FSR implementations, like in performance mode. Sometimes you get weird graphical artifacts and stuff, but mm-hmm. eh, it, it generally, I think, looks really good. Uh, and I don't know why you would not use it. <laughs> yeah, and, and there were some notable examples, like Tim tested the last of us and in those scenes stand where you put on the gas mask because of the spores mm-hmm. they said fsr and dlss seem to filter out half of the spores on screen interesting right Although, it didn't look worse there were just less spores there are still hundreds of spores on screen but not thousands uh, i i wonder if it's just like filtering those out as noise or something because it is yeah. con- it almost does just look like noise <laughs> yeah so uh, but, you know, with exceptions of s- something like that, which I wonder if it can be improved in an update, by the way, um, I-, I think that there's no way around it. A third of games, guys, because I've seen people in the comments say, I don't want to turn on DLSS and FSR, and I'm tired of these companies showing it. They're lying to us. It's We're not talking about DLSS 3, guys. Look, you can say you, for some reason, arbitrarily won't buy a card until it's $600 to game in 4K 
without DLSS or FSR on at 200 hertz. But congrats, it looks worse. A third of games now, your stubbornness on turning on DLSS makes your game look worse. Okay? A third of them, it looks the same. A third of them, it's slightly worse looking, but you get a 20% boost. So this is ridiculous. Like, turn it on. And with ray tracing, it's a bigger boost because of how the pipeline works right rendering yeah i mean it's just like not doing it on principle because it's technically using a lower input image so it's like well it's technically not even 4k i guess but if they've made it look better than 4k or the same as what it would look like using a 4k input image i don't know why i care personally (laughs) Mm -hmm. so again we turn it on almost always now that's because it's very rare it looks worse to us. And if it does, we still think it's like such a slight difference. It's worth the 20% performance boost. Um, it's just interesting to see that tested now. It's really getting quite impressive, this technology. Um, let's see. Kepler, speaking of Kepler, we brought him up with Sarlacc earlier, leaked a few code names. What is it? MI400, Mercury, Venus, and Earth, and Navi 4X, 4M, and 4C. Um, I don't know. I thought I'd put that. It's like notable. I haven't really asked much about how RDNA 4 works. And it's it's far enough away, it's like things I mean, that, could change. Uh, that's probably early 2025, right? Late 2024? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. It's a long way out. <laughs> the people I've talked to just say Navi 40, but I think there's a chance when they say Navi 40, they just mean, generally speaking, the strongest one. Mm-hmm. So... um or the, or the person I was talking to is being careful not to say a code name accidentally. Who knows? <laughs> True. Uh, and then finally, we have here in the write-up, duh, 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 do I have an article for it? We have Intel canceled its uh, Bitcoin mining um, <laughs> ASIC venture. And what was it called? Block series or something? Block, block scale. Uh, I, we almost made this a main story before all that news came in that we could talk about regarding AMD APUs, uh, for this week. But I don't know. I just think the cancellation of block scale is ridiculous. Less than a year after Intel announced they were going to make these Bitcoin mining chips. It's already, it's like, I just don't know how this keeps happening. These companies announce they're going to do something with blockchain and then they cancel it a year later. Because they didn't know a crash was coming. There's always a crash in this market every three to five years. I mean, when was the last crash? 2020? Oh, wait, no. 2020 would have been a big boom, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I don't get what pe- what's going on. Like, how some people can't analyze that. Like, look at a, a graph of Bitcoin's value and not realize... Oh, it seems to be pretty cyclical how it's going, and so don't make this less going in profit. At there's fifth yes, of price <laughs> in 2022 or 2023. I bet there will be a crash. <laughs> yeah, it's just ridiculous. Uh, all I can say is, hopefully, this wasn't a very expensive venture for them. Although I don't know why you would go into making Bitcoin ASICs unless you were actually planning on committing resources to it. Uh, but who knows? Right. And that's the thing, right? You look at, um, which I, what's the big one called? Do we remember what's, what's the, we Bitmain? used to talk Bitmain, right? They're still around. 
I believe, in doing just fine, aren't they? Yeah, they're doing. And it's like it's because they're like, yeah, we will just always innovate. We put half of our the money we make into savings. So we always have a war chest. I don't know why that's so hard to predict. Like, and because of that, that means you're never going to perfectly predict the future. But as long as you have enough money set aside that you don't need to worry about the crash, what that means is when there's a boom, you've already got these great products on the market when people will pay double for them. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I don't know how these companies, these mainstream companies like Intel, not these niche ones like Bitmain, don't think of that ahead of time. I really don't know. (laughs) You know, like we were going to make this its whole story because its own story, maybe because there's just something with companies being surprised when there's a crash and then another boom in Bitcoin. Um, even though it keeps like, isn't it It always happens? (laughs) Yeah. And Bitcoin is, yeah seemingly starting another bull run in the past couple months uh and it's just like I'm, if it you know breaks all-time records in let me guess two years <laughs> it'll surprise <laughs> people and i'll go it's done this like five times in the same fashion why is this surprising well that um, seems to be the bo- the the crash that everybody is saying is for some uh, reason the one that that killed it is going to kill it even though this cycle has happened like five or six times now right yeah. like I, I, not five, now probably four or five times, not five or six, but depending on how you count the cycles. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, we'll see. Maybe this is finally the crash that actually does kill off cryptocurrency, but I don't see any evidence of it yet. (laughs) Yeah. You have a zero data points and only data points suggesting it's cyclical. And if you're going to be in that market, you should plan for a cyclical market, you would think. But, um, all right. Let us then move on to the final reader mails. All right. Mark writes in and he asks regarding RDNA 3's lead in Modern Warfare 2 relative to its NVIDIA counterparts, I'm reminded of the 2019 situation with the 5700 series versus Turing and Forza Horizon 4. At launch, the 5700 XT matched the three times more expensive and otherwise usually 30 to 50% faster. RTX 2080 Ti and Forza Horizon 4, despite NVIDIA supporting that title with their drivers. Several months later, though, NVIDIA released a new driver, which improved performance by 30% across all terrain GPUs. I think it's likely that Modern Warfare 2 is a situation, uh, another one of these situations where NVIDIA's drivers are leaving an unusual amount of performance on the table, rather than the one title that's for some reason using RDNA 3 super well. It's also possible the rumored stall in the driver that you said does not impact performance in this title much. Uh, and that could be a, just a coincidence. Anyways, do you feel the situation with Modern Warfare 2 is different from Forza? What you pointed out then may be true once again, that NVIDIA is the strongest card, but they're one driver away for losing the edge against AMD. And people need to understand that these cards aren't that different in performance as they think they are. Okay, well, let me look at one thing here. I can. I think I can answer this question pretty definitively, uh, just by looking at relative performance. Because my memory with Call of Duty was that it wasn't, relatively speaking, like this. It it wasn't like a title where they beat RDNA two by like you know a bazillion percentage points. All right, let's see. So because AMD claimed in the reveal of RDNA three that you know, the 7900 XTX was 50 to 70% stronger mm-hmm. than the 6950 XT. So in Call of Duty, based on this benchmark here from Hardware Unboxed, 193 divided by 135, 
43% better. <laughs> I don't know, guys. Um, I would say that's better than the average that they had, but that it's not like in this title it was beating its previous gen by 70%. Mm-hmm. So my suggestion would be no, NVIDIA does not have a magic driver that will make them 30% better in this game. This is just a title that favors RDNA 3 more. But if we're being honest, it's 43% better than last gen. Like it's 60. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't Could know. Could NVIDIA improve it? Yes, but I don't don't expect it to be like a 40% improvement like Forza or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. I don't know why. I mean, the t- it's been out for like five or six months now too, right? Mm-hmm. It, like, this this seems like an issue that Nvidia should have been able to fix by now. Maybe I'm wrong, but exactly too. Uh, and you know, if I look at the 1440p performance, that 43% thing was 4K. Interesting. The performance over last gen goes up more in 1440p. So I just think this title favors RDNA three more. I think maybe the stall is less affected here, but again. If you think about it this way, because it gains more in 1440p, that means it's leveraging the the it's yeah it's leveraging the what what the compute units better, right? Mm -hmm. And it's less reliant on bandwidth on the RDNA three side. But also with NVIDIA, we know their scheduler is not as good, and that it needs like a stronger CPU for lower resolutions. And AMD's lead is way higher than the 4090 and 1440p, <laughs> but in 4K, it wins by like 5 to 10%. I would just suggest this is NVIDIA's driver overhead issue rearing its head in Call of Duty, mm-hmm. which is a very well-optimized game. And in well-optimized games, the driver overhead issue is more prevalent for NVIDIA. Um, Florida Man writes in, it seems like the last two GPU generations have brought large performance increases at the high end. Do you feel with the following gen GPUs, we will start seeing high-end CPUs bottleneck at 4K? If so, what will GPU designers need to do to get around this or sell the cards? Just refocus the industry to path tracing or mesh shading. Will NVIDIA have to finally switch from a heavy CPU overhead drivers? Well, I think that is obviously something in NVIDIA needs yeah, to that's with Blackwell. Yes, uh, of course, that's going to be an issue, especially if, especially if uh core counts aren't going to keep increasing like they have over time where the uh, CPU overhead will become more and more of an issue over time. You're always going to use one or two cores though more than the rest of them. So, they just need to solve this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a huge issue. Um and in addition to that though, do you feel like the following gems will start seeing it? it it just depends what you mean by bottlenecking. It seems like well a lot of games are getting insane frame rates on the 4090 right now. We're not to photorealism yet, and I think we're about to see some crazy-looking games next year. These are going to be the games that were built with the PS5 being the minimum spec or something. You know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. And that use Unreal Engine 5, and don't just use it bolted on, but like they were built from the ground up for this next-gen engine. So I would suggest that in these games, you know, they're going to find something to do with the GPUs. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, will we still be at higher frame rates than usual because of how strong Lovelace and even RDNA 3 is? Yeah, I think so. But I don't, I think this, the strongest CPU right now, the 7800X3D for gaming, I, I, I don't think that's going to hold back the 5090 and 99% of games, guys. Yeah. I mean, maybe you'll see a few games where like 
uh, in the upcoming years where the GPU is, or the top three GPUs or something, all have the same frame rate. But I don't know. I, I don't think. I, I don't think it's going to be get be this huge thing where it doesn't matter what GPU you have for gaming performance anymore in 4K. Right, and remember, we're talking about eight cores even here. Like, I don't even know how many of these engines, if they would just use twelve cores, <laughs> like <laughs> would just go to a higher frame rate. Anyways, um, it's not that simple actually because there's something with latency in the max frame rate. But um, Dra- Dragonaut writes in and he says, "Hi, Tom and Dan. First of all, I want to thank you for the great content." I don't know a lot of this stuff yet, hoping to learn, but after PC hardware caught my interest, I find it super interesting listening to your podcast. I'm learning a lot from this channel. So my question is, with transistors getting ever smaller, how much smaller do you think they can get? And what will be the path forward after they can get to that size? Will silicon be changed for another semiconductor or is it possible to do something else entirely? Well, I forgot what it was, but I know Intel's already showing off all this testing that they're doing with post-silicon transistors uh, so they're trying to do something with that and there are other materials we can use so you know that's coming that will undoubtedly be some sort of thing for some products i'd say in 15 years i will caution you though uh, daniel nenny's probably coming on the podcast again very soon actually but one of the last times he was on i asked about this in his estimate which he's kind of an expert on this stuff is we're going to be using silicon for 99 percent of stuff till 2030 so just buckle up for that and um, I believe the answer, like the theoretical limit. Wasn't it one or 1.5 nanometer? It, it, it's the issue when like quantum tunneling becomes a legitimate issue where you'll have an electron spontaneously move from one side of the logic gate, I mean, one side of the, the gate to the other. I, I think it's 1.5 nanometers, something like that. Somewhere in the scale, okay. scale of one nanometer. But the other thing to remember is that these uh, node sizes are more marketing terms than actually reflections of the science where I, I can't, I can't tell you off the top of my head what the actual size of the gate is for uh, like five nanometer DSMCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's way bigger not, than they say. It's like not a actually bigger. a five nanometer uh, transistor. If you go by like the actual scientific definition of what we call a five nanometer transistor. <laughs> Yeah, so so I, I'm saying we probably have a lot more space to shrink to get to the theoretical limit than they're actually letting on, because yeah, it, it's in the ten, yeah, it, it's in the one nanometer range, I believe, right, or the ten angstrom range. <laughs> I, and again, someone might crucify me for this, but like my memory was that the limit theoretically was like 0.5 to one something nanometer somewhere in that ballpark, but that they were like, that's like theoretical in reality. It's almost certainly going to be like 1.5 or two nanometer. Um, and keep this in mind though, that's still mini node shrinks away. Like where we are, we're at say five, four nanometer now, then there's three, then two, then 2.5. And remember relatively speaking going from going from like 40 to 32 to 28 nanometers so that's kind of like going from like 3.5 to 2.5 and those are huge no jumps so going from where we are now to two there's like three or four nodes worth of space there so 
We will go past Silicon. I don't know where the exact limit's going to be. Frankly, no one does until we try to make a node. That's insane. (laughs) But we're like four nodes, so four times two years at least. We're at least a decade away from that anyways. Mm -hmm. But it is something they're working on now. Just keep in mind that we won't really be using it a lot for a decade. And whatever the next thing is, we're probably still going to use silicon. I mean, by then, I'm sure tiles and chiplets and 3D stacking is going to be crazy. You're still probably going to use silicon for half of the products in a 3D stack thing and then just have like one layer that's this special thing because it will actually benefit from it. Yeah. And frankly, I think that's the future. You know, I was talking to someone at Intel uh, in the, uh, the, uh, a month or so ago, uh, and this person was talking about how like the different nodes, like, TSMC tends to have really tight logic density, but like not the best wiring or IO density, but like Intel's nodes, their logic density is less, but the actual wiring inside and around is actually way denser than TSMC's. And so in effect, they're calling it the same node. That's why. I mean, it's entirely possible. Like we're going to have these products in 10 years that are like Intel for this IO die, TSMC for these cores. And then for the cores that need to be clocked fast, whatever, you know, comes after that, you know, there, we're going to be using silicon for a very long time. And whatever we end up using after silicon will not be used for most things for decades, not just Mm -hmm. one, I think. Um, QH Freddy writes in, when is the last time you guys bought hard drives? Two terabyte SSDs are basically the same price as hard drives now. Should anyone be buying them for PCs? No. No. I, 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 it's been a really long time since I bought a hard drive. I can't, I don't remember exactly when I would have, but not, My understanding, not within the last like five years. <laughs> yeah. My understanding is that like with archival stuff, solid state drives can kind of have like a half-life that ruins data over time. So maybe you want to use hard drives for stuff that's literally not going to be used a lot, mm-hmm. but that's it. I think at this point, almost nothing should be using hard drives and it is getting to the point where like tape drives are getting almost as fast as hard drives right and cheaper per gigabyte and they'll last just as long anyways so yeah i mean i really I, do I, think I, hard drives are gonna go the way of the dodo for the most part and you'll have solid state and tape drives which is hilarious but yeah i i saw that recently that yeah tape drives are getting to i, I mean yeah, getting faster than hard drives at this point. So I don't know why you wouldn't use tape instead for cold storage. All right, Dan, that's all of the reader mails then. Uh, we did it. You know, it was funny. Someone brought this up to me. Uh, I think it was Carrie Nosugata said, you know, you guys in the die shrink right before your giant APU 4070 leak came out. <laughs> we're saying how there was no news this week. Yeah, oh, huh? solved that problem in the, the final inning, huh? Yeah, we did. (laughs) All right. Well, it's late. I have got to, frankly, Dan, I've got to go to the bathroom or like this is going to be a very awkward ending to the episode. (laughs) But I want to thank everybody for coming on. Remember to subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on YouTube. Bring the bell button. Subscribe to Broken Silicon on the podcast app of your choice. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and support us on Patreon. You'll get that. You would have gotten this if you haven't yet early and ad free you can submit questions die shrinks hour-long videos only for patrons ask guest questions and there's a discord where we discuss all of this content after it comes out as well so can't do this without our patrons if you even have two dollars 
Despair Month. You get so much exclusive content just for giving us that. And that pays me, Dan Gerard, and a growing list of Moore's Law is Dead contributors and renderers and other people as well. So the more you support us, the more content you'll get and the higher the quality will be. Yeah. Uh, any last words, Dan? No, I don't think so. All right. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well, you can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, AV, Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Dan Runner, Daniel Hyde, Dreadbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Law, The Mechanical Philosopher, Joe Foot, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJV1, Eric Jackson, Justin Crosom, Joshua L. Herrera, Valco Malev, The Boss, Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantum G. Spantum, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Trips, Blank, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Alex Vega, Gregory S. Ecker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23 
Jake Martin, Cameron, VentiCZ, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, Late David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stefan Hartz, David Sebastian, Need and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jess Kowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepless Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Semi Malas, Greg, A. Demios, Danny, Patrick Grove, Emil Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, John, Rucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, AC, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Joseph A. Madrigal, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan Koladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N., Keith Moore, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Joseph Kelly, Earth Taurus, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jim Ferriera, RV Racer, Keith Moore, Michael Cozy, Ben, DNA Tech, Toka, John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginate Ari, Slushbot, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Rizink, Mean Dean, Richard Yao, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Seller, Jordan Sinkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, William Welpy, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Now Lima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, John Swin, Austin Hagerty, Roger Davies, Shay, Julian Leaked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Michael, Aaron, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen, Ingima, Himsa, Gung, Derek Lambing, James Mosher, Kiko Sato, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.